ahoy, and welcome to the Jolly Reader. I'm your host, Captain Book. Okay, today we are covering part two, The Cheerleaders by Kara Thompson. Thomas, sorry. And chapters 9 through 15, pages 122 through 244. This is the second third of the book, so we're going to have one more episode after this. I hope you guys all had a safe, long weekend for Memorial Day, and we just spent it with our family and Josh, my first mate, and Allie convinced us to get in the pool because you're only five once, and it was freezing. We're trying to open it, so cleaning it. Anyways, I spent a lot of time reading this weekend, honestly, so this book is long and drawn out and semi-interesting. I kind of think I figured it out. So we'll get to that in my leering questions slash theories. Before we get to things to look forward to, I kind of figured out what I don't like about this book. It was bothering me. I was like, yeah, there's a lot of detail, but people like that. So I mean, it's not like poorly written. It's just not my style. But what it is, is when you have a book with one main character or first person like this book, Monica or Stevie and Truly Devious or Cat or Caddy or whatever her name was in We Were Liars and you have backflashes, you're always waiting for the main character to figure out what the reader already knows. I guess We Were Liars isn't the best example, but the other two, this book and Truly Devious. And then they figure it out, like the main character figures it out in a super unnatural way to push the story ahead and it feels forced and random and completely unrealistic and it just like kills the mood and kills the character for me and it makes the main character really unlikable and they seem stupid because they can't figure out what you already know and they just like fall into the situation and luck into saving the day, which is super annoying. Welcome to my TED Talk. Shall we go forward? (laughs) I'm just kidding. It was just like, I don't know, just something... Food for thought, I guess. Okay, you guys, I already recorded the episode and I just realized while I'm editing that I didn't do a summary of last time. So I'm winging it with no notes. So our main character, Monica, is pregnant and having an abortion, which we find out is the baby daddy is coach Brandon. And that never comes up again. And she's on the dance team. And her sister's dead, supposedly committed suicide. And her sister's best friends, Jules and Susan, were murdered by a neighbor, supposedly Jack, who her stepfather, Tom, and his partner, Mike, killed. Colleen and Bethany, other cheerleaders with Jen, died in a car accident. Ginny is on the dance team with Monica, and they're kind of trying to solve the mystery together. And... There's a mystery classmate who we find out is Ethan, who was the last person to talk to Jennifer when she died. And I don't know what else, but here it is. Sorry. Back to your regularly scheduled program. Bye. So things to look forward to this week is jumping to conclusions, a suspicious pickup truck, pictures from the past, And a ridiculous plan to get information that would never, ever, ever work in real life. So buckle up for some ranting. Chapter 9. So Rachel picks Monica up from school and she's in a mood. 
I don't know. I don't really remember this part that much because I wrote about it like six days ago, but that's what it says. She was in a mood, dot, dot, dot. So Monica receives a text from a different unknown number, not... I should get my notes up because I already forgot his name, Ethan. Hold on, my chart. By the way, I hope you like my chart. I'd love to receive feedback on it. It's on Instagram and Facebook, I believe. Okay, let's set this up. Okay, so Monica receives a text from a different unknown number, so it's not Ethan. Which, to me, Monica's freaking out, but it's super obvious that it's Ginny, obviously. So, it is. <laughs> and Ginny is like, do you want to meet? I have to talk to you about this. I got your number off the dance sheet list, whatever. So, Monica meets Ginny, and she shows Monica that there are old photos that didn't make it into the yearbook, because she's like, on yearbook, whatever, from five years ago. And it's from the float building day before homecoming, and slash, like, the murders. All the girls are in the picture minus Jennifer because she was homesick with strep, which we already knew. And at the end of the photos, there's a picture of Jules and she's standing by a fence by the football field and she's on the edge of the frame and she's holding a cell phone and like long story short, it looks like she's crying. So Monica takes a picture or she takes copies of all the pictures. I said, which will potentially come up later, I would assume they do. Kind of. Not really. Anyways, so Monica talks about how Jules and her mom, Tina, were super duper close. So maybe she told her mom like what she was upset about. So Monica can't find Jules' number in Jen's phone, blah, blah, blah. She looks through her mom's phone. Petey catches her snooping around. She pays him off. That happens a lot. Monica awkwardly calls Tina and she tells... I don't know. I don't know if any of this is important, but I feel like it's my job to tell you what the story's telling me. So... Tina had a baby. His name's Matthew. No idea if that's relevant, but that's also the name of Monica's ex. So (laughs) anyways, Monica tells Tina or asks her if Jules told her why she was upset that night, which I don't know if I would even remember that, but okay. So she didn't even know Jules was upset or crying. And Monica apologizes and is like, well, I was just wondering because it might have had something to do with Jen. Tina says that she hadn't seen Jen in over a week which is unusual because Jen would like spend most weekends over there, their BFFs, whatever. And Tina asked Jules why Jen wasn't there. And Jules just says that like Susan and Jen weren't speaking to each other and Jules wanted to stay out of it, which we find out why they're mad at each other. But I also say here, which is also valid, I thought Jen was supposed to be at the sleepover and was mad she couldn't go because she was sick. They make like a big deal out of that. So if she, they weren't talking, why would she be mad? She wouldn't have even been invited to the sleepover and she wouldn't have survivor's guilt because she wouldn't even be there. Okay. Anyways, Jules wouldn't tell Tina what Susan and Jen were fighting about. We find out later. Tina basically ends the conversation by saying, we still all have a lot of questions about the situation, but it was a terrible tragedy and there's no point on dwelling on it. Whatever. It's just her way of moving forward, obviously, as a parent. Chapter 10. I'm so used to saying a name like chapter 10. Jonah. Whatever. Monica, per usual. Okay. My first note. Ding. These chapters are so long for no reason. Like, I literally can tell you what flavor McFlurries they ordered. The biggest of who cares. Okay, so the long and short of it is that Monica is looking through the unused yearbook pictures Ginny gave her and sees a girl that we know is Carly the Cokehead with Jules, but obviously Monica doesn't know who she is. So Monica calls Ginny because she wants to figure out who this girl is and Ginny has access to the old yearbooks. So Ginny asks what the girl looks like and Monica says she's tall and skinny and her hair is super platinum blonde like it's dyed. 
Okay, who does that describe? Like anybody. Anybody. This could be literally anybody at this school. It's supposed to be like this rich school that's like full of cheerleaders and whatever, whatever. And you're telling me like that's enough information. Side note, Carly has her lip pierced, but Monica does not mention this to Ginny. And Ginny still magically finds her in the yearbook and her Facebook. Like what? How? Tall, skinny, blonde. Yeah, okay. So I digress. Monica messages Carly and it goes unread. And she's like, you used to cheer with my sister. Can we talk? Blah, blah, blah. The next day, Ginny calls and says she's been watching Carly's Facebook page. Creepy. And she checked in, you know, like, where are you? I'm at the zoo or whatever. So Carly's at the library at the college she goes to, which I guess is like in town. And Monica is babysitting Petey. So she has to take him with them. But Petey and Ginny stay in the car. She pays him off. Whatever. Also, this does not matter, but it would have been cool if this happened. I said, side note, Petey's using Monica's phone to play Clan Wars, so I'm guessing at some point someone like Ethan is going to text her while Petey has her phone. That never happens, but that'd be like a really, oh my god, he's got to keep this secret. Okay, so anyways, Monica finds Carly, and they go outside to talk, and Carly basically said she wasn't really friends with the girls, and that Ethan was a creep. She also says that a lot of the boys liked Jen, including Ethan and that the feelings may have been mutual. And Carly tells Monica that Jen used to meet Ethan in the woods, et cetera, et cetera. Like, this is what we knew from the backflash of them, like, catching frogs and stuff. And this is news to Monica. So Carly tells Monica that Jen was the only cheerleader not on this, like, quote-unquote hit list that he made. And then Monica's like, what are you talking about? Jen wouldn't hang out with Ethan because he's a loser and she's not. And Carly's like, I have a reliable source on this. It's Susan Barry. So I'm assuming that like, I don't know. This is weird too, because Jen says that she didn't tell her friends that she hung out with them. So like maybe Susan just saw them hanging out because the woods that they would go to is like behind her house or something. So anyways, the same day that she, being Susan, saw Ethan writing the hit list. I'm calling it a hit list because that's what they call it. It's, It's not even a hit list. It's just a list of mean kids at the school. Anyways... The same day that she saw that, she saw Jen slip something into Ethan's locker, which we know is the do you want to talk note or whatever. Then Susan told some senior on the cheer squad and they convinced her to tell the principal. So this explains why Jen and Susan aren't talking. And I think we get a backflash, but we hear more about this situation later. It takes Monica 10 and a half years to figure out it wasn't the hit list that Jen slipped into the locker. It was the note like we want to talk or whatever, about our feelings, whatever, you know what I'm talking about. So Ginny, Petey, and Monica go to McDonald's, and they get their McFlurries that I could tell you all about if you want to know. And Monica tells Ginny what happened, and Petey's like, supposedly not listening, I don't know, and I don't care. Next chapter. Jennifer, five years ago, October. So my notes literally say, recap of things we already know, I roll. This is what I was talking about. We already figured this out. (sighs) okay so jen jules and susan are all dress shopping for like homecoming or whatever and jen can't stop thinking about ethan because clearly she likes him but she can't like him because he's a loser biggest of who cares so jules and susan are like merciless about her leaving him a note in his locker they're just like being really mean and like calling him names and stuff I don't know. It's stupid. So like Jen makes up some story that she forgot a book in class and he returned it to her. So she's just like leaving a note thanking him. 
And I say that she's reasonably defensive and they're superficial and Susan and Jules are just being like awful teenagers about it. Like who you like, they're nice to you, who cares what your stupid friends like or think about it? Because they're not the person you have to deal with for the rest of your life. You end up staying with the person you like. So just like, don't let other people judge you. (sighs) Okay. I'm like already ranted out and it's been 10 minutes. So the next day, there's rumors going around the school. Someone's going to shoot up the school because it's about the hit list. And Jen gets called to the principal's office. And the principal's like, did you know about the hit list? And she's like, no, because obviously she didn't even know about the list. And she doesn't understand. She later finds out, but like. She doesn't understand why she was left off the list. Like, duh, Ethan likes you and you weren't the one teasing him at lunch with the whole quarter thing. So anyways, they tell her that he was suspended so she doesn't need to like worry about it, which still super unreasonable. That would never happen. Like you just find a list of names. I have a list right here in front of me of every character. Oh my gosh, it's a hit list. Anyways, Jen finds Ethan on Facebook And they have this like stupid conversation confirming that he likes her. So I might have to have the derpy music while I read this. Page 159 and 160. Don't know why I don't mark these pages with post-it notes. Because I'm always like flipping through trying to find them. She's like, are you there? He's like, yeah. Why did you do it? I didn't mean it. So then why did you do it? I don't know. I was just mad about what happened in the cafeteria the other day. I would never hurt anyone. I really need you to believe me. Why do you care if I believe you? I thought you knew why. And then she didn't answer. So he was like, don't worry. I swore them all that you had nothing to do with it. Big who cares? She's an idiot. (sighs) So Jen puts it together that Susan is the one that told the principal. I have in all caps, all things we already know, exclamation point. Obviously. Fast forward. It's a night of spirit night or something. I don't... High school things. It's been like 12 years for me. Sorry. So... Jen's talking to Bethany, car accident girl, while they're manning the bake sale table. And ding! I just say, this is so cliche. Cheerleaders with eating disorders. Stupid, unnecessary stereotype. I hate it. This book is just like, really? It's not nice. It's not nice. Stereotypes are not nice. Anyways, Bethany is just horrible and mean. And she even says mean stuff about her bestie, Colleen. Whatever. We know that. She's a nightmare. So Bethany says that Susan, Jen's like, whatever, talking about the fight. And she, Bethany says that Susan's just jealous because Jen doesn't have to try to be pretty or popular and smart. And Susan does whatever. Just trying to point in a direction that is not necessary. It's what's the word? Misdirection. So Jen sees Susan in the gym and has the urge to punch her in the face, but she doesn't and surprised that she's feeling that way. And I said, did Jen kill Susan and Jules? Because that would be wild. But like, obviously she had strep. So no way. So side note, Colleen's mom is super paranoid that Ethan's going to come to the spirit night and shoot everybody up. So the police are around and they apparently don't notice this next part, though. Like it talks specifically about how there is police at this event. And then it talks about drug deals in the parking lot. So Jen follows unseen. She follows Jules out to the parking lot where she sees Jules and Carly talking. Conversation, 167. You couldn't tell. I didn't feel like typing all this out. Your mom won't notice some are missing. That's Jules. No, her doctor gave her like 60 a month, Carly. Should I mix this with alcohol? It's fine. I do it all the time. And that's like the weakest dose. And then there's like a pickup truck, a black pickup truck that pulls up and 
a male voice is like, took you long enough. And they, I don't know, they drive off, whatever. Jen's like, pills. I knew she was a druggie. So some unknown dude picks them up and Jen just like stands there stunned, regretting not calling out for Jules. Chapter 11. This is really short. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I have like three notes. Okay. Monica rides her bike to her old neighborhood. She talks to some random lady who tells her that Ethan used to live in like this specific house and about how his mom died and no one really wanted to take care of him. So she doesn't know where he is now. And she also mentions that he used to walk the streets at night, like Tom said. And Monica walks to where his old house was and then walks into the woods and she can see her backyard and Susan's where the sleepover was. So Monica's like thinking about this situation and she thinks that Susan and Jules wouldn't have like willingly let Ethan or Jack into the house. So it had to be someone they knew. So this leaves like Jen, who's sick, Carly, this unknown dude from the truck, probably the unknown dude from the truck. So Monica gets home and she texts Ethan, page 176. Man, I must have been like (laughs) really over it. Let's see. I know who you are, Ethan. What did you see that night from the woods? This is a conversation I'm only willing to have in person, he says. So, chapter 12. (laughs) My first note is an asterisk. I can't tell what what are hints or intentional deflection in this book compared to what is just pointless filler. Yeah. Still, still feel that way. Shoo. There's no school on Thursday and Friday because of convenient plot stuff that I'm not going to mention. Monica and Ethan set up a meeting at Cool Beans Coffee and Tea. And Monica brings along Ginny because she's nervous to meet him alone, obviously, whatever. So Monica talks about outside the coffee shop, two males being affectionate. And that's something she would never see at her school because they're all uptight and whatever. So I just say like, this might be pointless Or this might be a hint at like a secret relationship between some of the cheerleaders. Like maybe they were afraid to come out because the school's not accepting. And then maybe that could be part of the motive. I don't know. It's just something to mention. Anyways, they go inside to see Ethan and he's a barista at the Cool Beans Coffee and Tea. So anyways, Monica said he looks perfectly normal and she may have even found him attractive if she didn't already know how creepy he was. And I... So I don't think he seems that creepy. Just kind of like a loner, but whatever. They're all super judgmental. <sighs> like I said, stereotypes are just rude in this book. So Ethan takes them to this like back room to talk or like, I don't know, back seating area. And Monica introduces Ginny. And then like two pages later, he's like, who are you again? And she's like, I didn't say. And it's like, she didn't say, but it's not like it's a secret. They already were in- introduced. Like, I don't know. It's so weird. So they're talking and Monica's like, why are you the way you are creeping around the house across the street from me? And he's like, "Uh, do you want to yell at me or do you want information? So Ethan starts by saying Tom is a uh, choice word and Jenny puts together like out of nowhere. I don't I don't know where this came from, but that Ethan tried to tell Tom what he saw which is weird because ethan hadn't told them that he was like out in the woods or he saw anything jenny just like says that so then he goes on to say that he was in the woods behind susan's house and there was a dark pickup truck same from the back flash obviously like it doesn't say that but we gotta assume that's who it is 
So Ethan was there around 10 and he saw the pickup truck parked across the street and two people were on the deck of Susan's house, a girl yelling at someone, but Ethan couldn't tell if the other person was a guy or girl and they were tall in a dark hoodie. So he later realizes that the person, the female on the deck yelling is Jules because like from reports and stuff, Susan would have been in the shower at the time of the attack and they have times because of Jules, Fitbit, whatever, whatever. So... They're fighting. He said they were fighting about like some BS and he didn't spend much time on it. Jules was just saying, don't tell me to calm down. Like that's what he overheard. So after the details of the death were released, Ethan realizes that the argument he witnessed was very close to the time of death of Jules and Susan. So he's like, oh crap, maybe I like saw the murderer. So Jen was already dead by the time he went to the police and Tom was furious. Like, he basically accused Ethan of convincing Jen to kill herself because Tom saw the last call on Jen's phone. And Tom said that if Ethan kept telling lies about the murders and causing the families more pain, he would beat Ethan into a coma. (laughs) So Monica doesn't think this sounds like Tom, but like I'm saying, obviously people act differently when they're mourning. And Tom would have probably been doubting himself about like shooting the wrong person, being Jack and... Tom was probably under investigation at the time. So it makes sense that he would like snap at Ethan and he already like didn't really like Ethan. So genius Stevie, I mean, Monica finally figures out that Ethan was the one mailing the letters to Tom every year about connecting the dots, which I don't know if I said this on the last episode, but this is definitely something that me and my first mate Josh talked about. Like we thought Ethan was mailing the letters. It's pretty obvious. So Monica asks what Ethan means by connecting the dots And Ethan says she can start with the car crash and the murderers, murderers, the murders, like connecting those two. Both Monica and Ginny and me this whole time think this is weird because it'd be really weird to cause a car accident. Like it'd be very difficult because it doesn't talk about the brakes being cut or anything like that. Like it was raining. She drove into a tree. She like slid off the road. So Ethan lays out the details of the accident. He says, yes, Bethany was speeding, but it wasn't uncommon for that stretch of road. She was going 70 in a 50. Like, don't tell me that that's just like normal. Ugh. Anyways, her phone records show that she wasn't texting and there wasn't any drugs or alcohol in her system. Repage 186. It's always a mystery because I don't like do any lead up. Oh, okay. So this is Ethan talking. Before the crash, Bethany and Colleen stopped at 7-Eleven. A bunch of people saw two guys in a pickup truck catcalling them in the parking lot. Bethany shouted something at them and they shouted back. And when Bethany turned out of the lot, the truck followed them. And he goes on to say that it was like his friends that told him that were at the 7-Eleven that told him what happened. So Ethan thinks it may have been the same truck like that followed them out of the 7-Eleven that also was at Susan's house the night of the murders. He also says that Monica was too young at the time to realize this, but a lot of people in town were skeptical that these weren't connected. Like what's the odds of five cheerleaders who are friends die within a month of each other, which is what he says. But earlier it said two months, but okay, we're not going to worry about inconsistencies because if we did, we would spend an hour and a half on it. And this book wouldn't make sense. So anyways, Ethan says it was weird. Oh, he he just like kind of asks, don't you think it's weird that Tom was the first of the scene at all three incidents? And Monica's like, 
what are you accusing him of? And Ethan doesn't necessarily believe that Tom orchestrated or covered up the deaths, but he thinks Tom could be con- like could connect them if he really wanted to find the truth. So that's why he sends the letters. Like he thinks Tom's their best bet of figuring out what really happened. So the chapter ends and Monica just kind of says, Tom refuses to talk about the murders because he can't bear fumbling around for answers in the dark. Or is he just afraid what he'll find there? Chapter 13. Inconsistencies. Like why? Is it really that hard to go back and change things so they make sense? Apparently it is. I can't stand it, you guys. I can't. I mean, they're minor inconsistencies, but it's like really annoying. Like your one job is to make sure the book makes sense, right? Okay. Jenny and Monica drive back to Monica's house. Jenny says she doesn't trust Ethan and that Tom wouldn't act like that. And Monica's basically like, "Why? how do you know how Tom would act? And Jenny explains that one time Tom pulled her dad over for drunk driving and her mom couldn't get off work to pick them up from the police station. Like, what? Oh, yeah, my daughter's just gonna hang out at the police station. I can't get out of work. Like, time to quit. I guess she's a nurse, but like, whoa. I'd be like, bye. I have to go protect my child from this freaking monster. So when this happened, Tom let Jenny hang out in his office. It was nice to her, whatever, whatever. So later, Jenny and Monica are talking and they kind of land on wanting to get witness statements from neighbors the night of the murders to get more information. It's like, see if anyone else saw a truck or whatever, which you can't do, obviously. Like, it's not public record. So Monica talks about... Tom using his ID card, like his police ID card at home to get access to the police files or whatever. But there's no way she could sneak it away from him without him noticing. Duh. And I say, by the way, has he not noticed that Monica has Jen's phone? Like, is that ever going to come up or what? So while I'm ranting, what the heck was the point of Monica being pregnant by the track coach when she hadn't, when he hasn't been brought up in over a hundred pages with a bunch of question marks? Anyways, so Monica calls Daphne, that's the um, journalist, to see if she ever had copies of witness statements when she wrote the article. And she says no, and the information did come from someone who worked at a different police department, but was fired when it was found out that he was leaking information. She said he's now a private investigator and owes Daphne a favor, which is really weird because she's basically the reason he got fired. So I don't know why he owes her a favor, but whatever. So, Jenny wants to look up Ethan because she doesn't trust him, but Monica decides to hold on to the favor in case they need it for more important information later. And what she uses it on is like the dumbest thing ever, but whatever. Monica's mom comes home and she doesn't recognize Jenny, even though she drove her home from practice like however many years ago that one night. I don't know why you would expect her to recognize her. I can't tell if this town is big or small either because like some people know each other and some people don't. And Monica rides her bike everywhere, so it can't be that big. Anyways, okay, so this part says that Jenny's dad never showed up to pick her up that night from the dance practice or whatever, but in earlier versions, it says specifically her mom was always running late. Like, oh, we we decided we randomly want to add in Jenny's dad as a character, so now we have to go back and change things that have already been, like, said. Where was a truly devious letter written? Someone tell me where it truly was written. Okay. (laughs) Monica's mom is not pleased with Jenny. Like, she's being pleasant, but she's giving Jenny, like, disapproving looks. I don't know. Judgmental. Whatever. So, Jenny, like, is gonna leave. And Monica's surprised that... She, like, says to Jenny, like, I'm surprised you're so awesome or whatever. And, 
like Monica thinks, oh, a month ago she was too afraid to talk to me on the bus ride home and now she's like ready to go steal these files or whatever. And I'm like, uh, no, Monica, that was you too afraid to talk to her on the bus because you're judgmental and a jerk and Ginny's just always been Ginny. So like you didn't even know her. And I said, I'm still weirdly suspicious of Ginny for no reason. She's way too involved in this. I don't know. Just put it out there. So Monica's mom tells her, tells Monica, that she needs to stay at Rachel's on Friday because Tom and her are going to this police annual dinner thing. And they don't want Monica staying home alone because she recently told them that she wanted cameras in the house because she's nervous, whatever. So Monica says, okay. And then she texts Ginny that they need to talk. But before they talk... I don't know. I just like choked on that. Before they talk, Monica is eating lunch with Alexa and Alexa tells her that Jimmy, that's Matt's best friend, wants to ask her the homecoming dance, which what? who cares? Not me. I don't even know the point of this. So Monica isn't interested in getting involved in anyone and uh, Alexa's like, whatever matt's gone and it just talks about how monica like lied to her friends and she's like over matt whatever but then alexa's like you have time for jenny and monica explains away and she's like it's nice to be around someone that will actually talk about jen it's stupid this part ends with monica saying she misses alexa and rachel but has to keep lying to them and hopes the truth comes out and they'll forgive her in the end Like, why, though, if they don't understand that you're suspicious or whatever, whatever you're going through, then they're not good friends and you're not missing out anyways. (sighs) My throat's going to hurt after this screaming. Okay, so there's a school assembly and Monica tells Jenny her master plan. So (laughs) this is dumb. So the night of the police gala, Monica is going to make a reason. Go see Mike, who's Tom's partner, who's supposed to be on duty that night. She's then going to steal Mike's card, like his ID card, take it home to look up the witness statements that they don't even know if they need. So Ginny shuts this down because Mike would know, like, no, it was Monica. And the stuff, like your ID card is probably tracked like where it's used. But she's down to take an ID. What? What? So they're going to make up a reason to get Mike out of the police station. Hope he leaves his ID and is gone long enough for them to look on the computer. So, side note, during this assembly, Mike is putting on a presentation about drunk driving. And Monica's like, what would get him out of the station that long? And Ginny looks at the presentation and is like, isn't it obvious? Which, by the way, they don't even use that. They don't even call, like, that's not even what they do. Oh, I'm furious now, now that I know. They don't do anything with drunk driving. Okay. <sighs> so I have to, I said, I'm sure this is going to work because in this book, the rules are made up and common sense and accuracy don't matter. And then my next note says, okay, the stupid plan works. I am not here for it. Okay. It's the most ridiculous thing that's happens. Side note, I say, I can't tell if this is just bad writing, but I believe the 7-Eleven is crossed the street from the police station. So Tom could have seen the truck following Bethany's car or like a police officer. I don't know if that matters. I don't know how many 7-Elevens are in this town. Anyways, Monica goes in. This is so stupid. She goes in and like her reasoning to go there is she's asking Mike if he, he can look up Jenny's dad since he left her family five years ago. And she tells Mike, Jenny doesn't know where he is, which isn't true. She does. Or she told Monica she does or whatever. But like the reason for this is she wants Mike to get into the database. So once he's on this database, Monica texts Jenny to make this fake 911 call. 
So on the 911 call, they claim that someone saw an armed person near Mike's house and his wife and kids are home. So he freaks out and runs out. And Monica feels so guilty. Like, does she though? So Monica searches Jules, like whatever, about the homicide, which is weird because it said, wouldn't you search Susan since it took place at her house? Like, I don't know why she chose to search for Jules. But anyways, it's labeled unsolved and inactive. And there's a million files, which surprises her. Uh, It was a double homicide. Like, what did you expect them to be like? Oh, two girls were murdered. End of story. (sighs) So Monica somehow manages to print off 50 plus pages of affidavits without anyone noticing. Like, just bring a flash drive, girl. Why are you using the printer? This is all ridiculous. Are you still hanging with me? Because I'm like, I'm hanging by a thread on this book. And I'm like dreading the endings. I feel like it's going to be super ridiculous. So she leaves the police department and ducks her head when she sees the camera. Because like, obviously it's recorded inside police or police stations. And she's leaving, which doesn't matter because she could say she went there to find Jenny's dad or whatever information about it. But whatever. So Jenny and Monica are back at Jenny's house. And they're going through the papers. And of course, the first one they look at gives them information. So this 90-year-old man that lives across the street from Susan says this. 216 and 217. While I was putting out the recycling around 945 and noticed a pickup truck parked on the street next door. Diagonally from the Barry's house, a petite, dark-haired girl got out of the vehicle and crossed the street. I waved her and she was headed up to the Barry's driveway, but she appeared not to see me. The pickup truck remained parked next door, the engine on. I went inside and made a cup of tea and straightened up the kitchen. Before I went to bed, I looked out the window and noticed the pickup truck was gone. So I'm not like 100% sure, but like I think dark hair, that would make it jewels. That's kind of like conclusion. I don't know. I could go back and look at her description, but that's like the assumption. Okay. So like also there's a statement that Jules' dad dropped her off or dropped both of them off at 920, but the neighbor saw someone else dropping her off at 940. They make like a huge deal out of this, but I feel like she just went off to get drugs or whatever. And then like she did at the float thing. But obviously we only know this from like Jen's backflash. So Monica wouldn't know this, blah, blah, blah. So they also think it wasn't Jules, but another girl getting dropped off. But I don't know who that'd be because they describe Carly as being platinum blonde and Jen's like asleep or whatever. She is strep and then the other girls are dead. So there's like no other girls available. So anyways, so I have these like crazy theories right in the middle. So I said crazy, but what if Jen was responsible for all this? And that's why Tom covered up. That would explain why Tom got mad at Ethan about seeing the truck and never looked into the statement of the neighbor who confirms this. I said, okay, maybe not Jen, but someone he knows like Mike. I don't know. Gasping. I'll get to my theories at the end, but this is just something I wrote as I was reading this. So anyways, they go to bed in Jenny's room and Monica gets up to get a water in the middle of the night and she sees Jenny looking out her downstairs window and it's supposed to mean something. I have no idea. Chapter 14. So Jenny went to pick up her mom for work when Monica gets up. So Monica just goes home and Monica's mom's all salty because she was bombarded by Colleen's mom at this police gala thing who told Monica's mom that Monica never got back to her about helping with the memorial. Big who cares, but Monica's mom is being like super ridiculous and annoyed about it. So later, Mike calls Monica and she's freaking out that he like figured it out, but it's pretty obvious that he's just calling about Jenny's dad, right? So P.S. Her dad's name is Phil and I added him to the chart. 
Okay, so Mike says that Phil was in trouble for some pretty heavy stuff other than the DUI, which (laughs) whenever I was discussing this with Josh, I kept calling it a DIY, like a do-it-yourself. Anyways, uh, okay, so he says that Phil's last address was in Sunnybrook five years ago, which obviously is where like Jenny and her mom lives, and he missed his court date and disappeared three days after Jules and Susan were murdered. So Phil drove a 2005 GMC Sierra pickup truck. (gasps) Gasp! And it was leased and the plates are expired. Dun, dun, dun. Whatever. I don't think it's him. Anyways, Mike basically tells Monica that he doesn't feel comfortable telling her all the details, but Phil probably would have gone to jail if he didn't skip his court date. And she should ask her friend about it because he doesn't want to just like release this information to her. So what does Monica do? Not that. She doesn't ask Jenny. She emails Daphne about the private investigator to look up Phil. Like, why? Why did she do that? Wasting a favor on nothing. She's literally the worst friend ever, and mainly because she jumps to conclusions. Always. So at the end of the chapter, Monica has decided that Ginny knows what her dad did, what she thinks is murdered the girls, and knows where he is and is covering for him. Okay, one, there's still 150 pages left in this book, so no. Two, his charges could be for literally anything. I'm guessing domestic violence, Jenny's scar on her knuckle, etc., etc. Three, Monica literally said last chapter that tons of people in town drive pickup trucks. Four, Jenny might not even know where her dad is and just saying that because she didn't know what to say. Or she does know where her dad is but doesn't suspect him of murder. Like, what the heck? Chapter 15. Okay, it's a Saturday dance practice and Monica talks to Jenny and she tells Jenny that Mike called about Jenny's dad phil and monica basically insinuates that jenny's lying so jenny's clearly upset and just like because what a mean thing i don't know monica's stupid whatever so she ignores monica the rest of practice later monica's looking through witness statements and a neighbor diane collin six months before the murders reported this Page 233 and 234. On the evening of April 18th, I came home around 8.30 to find my back gate open. Several of my flowers had been trampled as if someone had climbed over the fence to enter the backyard. Nothing was stolen from my house, but I believe the intruder was Jack Canning, who lives at 61 Norwood Drive. Several others on my street have reported strange incidents, and we believe Mr. Canning to be behind them. In fact, his neighbors had to install a privacy fence due to Mr. Canning watching their daughter sunbathing by the pool, which I think was blown out of proportion. I think literally some random person sneaking around or whatever, and then like Jack saw it, and that's why he was spying. I said that last episode too. So anyways, so then Monica realizes that Ethan couldn't have seen anything from the woods because Susan's family built a privacy fence which has since been torn down by the new owners. That's why when she was walking around the woods, she could see in. But I say that, one, the woods could be elevated, like that ridiculous driveway that was hundreds of feet or whatever from last episode. Two, the porch that they were arguing on could have been elevated, like the one at my house. Like, if I'm standing on my porch, we have a six-foot fence, and my neighbors can see me out on my porch. Stupid. None of that happens. It gets explained later. So anyways... She convinces Ethan to meet her under the pretense that she found something weird in Jen's stuff. Rude. Like, you know he likes her, and then, I don't know. I just thought that was not very nice. And I feel like if 
Monica would just be direct with people. She'll find the truth instead of just like assuming and attacking them. Basically, this book could be like a lot shorter and a lot easier and like really just get to the point. So Monica confronts Ethan, duh, and he tells her the truth that he wasn't in the woods. He was on Monica's roof. So (laughs) he was spending time with Jen because she was sick and like keeping her company. And then he snuck out of her bedroom window and was on the roof of the garage and he saw the argument at the berries. So Monica asked details about Jen's room to like prove he was really in there. Like what color were her walls? What color were her blankets or whatever? He confirms that he was actually in there. And then he notes that nothing happened between him and Jen and there wasn't time before her death to find out if there was really anything between them. Sad. So this situation explains why he lied to police and said he was in the woods because Tom would literally murder him if he knew that Ethan was sneaking into like Jen's room. And maybe that's why Tom didn't like him at all because Ethan was maybe doing this multiple times sneaking in and Tom like suspected it when he was like, that would explain why he's wandering the streets and stuff. So anyways, this also explains why the police didn't investigate further the claim of the truck because they knew like he wouldn't have been able to see from the woods because of the privacy fence. So Ethan also tells Monica that Jules was really close to some senior girl and it's Carly, obviously. But Monica's confused because Carly said she barely knew them. What? People lie? I don't believe that. So before Monica leaves her school, Ethan says, when I called her, being Jen, I asked if she was okay. She said she was and I believed her. So that's super sad. So Monica and Ethan kind of go back and forth about how it's hard to believe that Jen really did kill herself. And Monica says it'd be easier if Jen was murdered but only if they knew who the killer was, which I'm assuming we'll figure out in the big reveal at the end. So at school, Monica sends Carly another Facebook message. Hey, dot, dot, dot. I was wondering if we could talk again. I have some questions about what you told me. Like you're basically accusing this person of like lying and you expect them to message you back, whatever. So in the meantime, Monica meets up with Ginny, who apologizes for acting weird about her dad, which girl, don't apologize. Monica was being ridiculous. So Ginny says that her dad left October 18th, the week before the murders, because her mom was finally going to press charges because he beat her up, like beat the mom up, obviously called it domestic violence. So the only like issue with this is Mike says he ditched before his court date on the 13th, but Ginny's saying the 18th, we'll see what happens with that. But like Monica believes Ginny. And I said, so does this make Mike suspicious because he is the typical side character that would be guilty of all this? (laughs) So anyways, Monica goes to tell Ginny about the message to Carly and like her conversation with Ethan. And when she goes to pull up the message, she realized that Carly had blocked her on Facebook. Dun, dun, dun. End of section. That went a lot faster than I expected it to considering it was like a lot of pages. Okay. Larian questions slash theories. This is going to be like 10 minutes long because I kept coming up with theories as I was typing this out. So I think I figured it out, which is my last theory. So we'll have to go through all my crap theories first, and then I work my way to what I think, how it's going to end. So I think the suspicion around Carly is just because she used to do slash deal drugs. Like, I don't think she murdered anyone. I think she doesn't want anyone prying because she seemingly has like cleaned up her life and maybe she witnessed something or knows something, but like, I don't think she just like went in and strangled and stabbed to death people or whatever. Like I said before, I think Mike is going to be our main bad guy, but now I'm like kind of changed my mind on that, but that's what I wrote originally. 
So if Tom was the first person on the scene of the crash, we can assume Mike was there too, because that was his partner. Also, he was there when they killed the neighbor Jack, or however that went down. And if the 7-Eleven was across the street from the police station, he would have seen the truck following Colleen and Bethany, if Ethan's telling the truth. So like, whatever, I don't know. So also, maybe Mike was like dealing drugs to Carly or something. And if Jen was murdered, like, okay, so they think Jen committed suicide. So obviously like there's no sign of struggle and no one breaking the house, but it wouldn't be unreasonable for Jen to let Mike into her house, right? And... I also feel like it's too late in the book to be adding a random character to make all this make sense. And I don't think we're going to hear much more about Ginny's dad. Then I say, my next question, what's the point of Monica being pregnant in the beginning of the book? The only thing I can think of was maybe Coach Brandon was involved, in, but like for similar reasons instead of Mike. So I said, it just, my note literally says, this is just occurring to me as I type out these notes. Okay, so coach brandon would have been like 18 or 19 at the time of the death because depending on how you do the math in the book which apparently they can't do he's seven or eight years older than 16 year old monica making him like 23 or 24 now i went back and i looked it up when they like hooked up he drives a jeep like currently but that doesn't mean he couldn't have had a pickup truck at the time so i've been discussing this like extensively with my first mate josh and he's convinced that none of these are related which I feel like makes the most sense, but the book is leaning towards they're all connected. So like maybe Ginny's dad or someone like drunkenly ran Colleen and Bethany off the road accidentally. And then a different person like dealing the drugs, murdered Jules because she was going to rat them out. And Susan's just like a victim of circumstance, like being there. And then maybe Jen really did kill herself. And then I have like, so I called him, I called Josh and I was talking to him about this. And as I was talking to him, I was like, I think I figured it out. So just like super bear with me. So maybe, okay. So it says Carly's like new to the school, Sunnybrook or whatever. So maybe Carly and Brandon went to school together before she moved because there's no talk of Brandon, coach Brandon, like going to Sunnybrook or whatever. So maybe they like knew each other and maybe he's like her dealer or maybe he's like the person that picked him up in the truck that one night in the backflash or whatever. So my theory is that Jules slash maybe also Carly were in the truck. If, okay. So like the running theory is like this truck that followed Colleen and Bethany from the 7-Eleven ran them off the road or whatever. So like maybe Jules and Carly and Brandon, the driver, were in the truck when it ran Colleen and Bethany off the road. So like maybe they were just being stupid teenagers and maybe they were on drugs and it really was like an accident to run them off the road because Bethany's kind of a nightmare. But like, obviously you couldn't plan that they would hit a tree and maybe like it would be unintentional. So then Jules, who's like more straight laced, like kind of just falling into a bad crowd. Maybe, okay, so after they ran her off the road, maybe they were like, okay, everybody shut up. We could be like in a ton of trouble for this. This never happened. They just got an accident, leave it be. So Jules might be like, kind of cracking under the pressure and wanting to go to the police so this third person who i'm assuming is brandon murdered her to keep her quiet and then susan was also murdered because obviously she was in the house so she would have like known who killed jules so then i don't know how jen like completely fits into this but maybe the person assumed that jules told jen about the car accident or somehow they knew that jen knew we don't even know if jen knows but this is all just like a raging theory but then they killed 
Jen as like a loose end. So there it is. That's what I got. We'll find out next week. So thanks for listening. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at the Jolly Reader Podcast. I made a really funny slideshow about how I'm Ethan and Jenny's love child. Subscribe so you can get notifications for the final episode of The Cheerleaders when that comes out next week. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review to help other crewmates find this podcast. Please share and discuss. Hit me up on social media. It also helps people find me and I just kind of like to interact with my crew. And if you like secondhand embarrassment, stay tuned for the outtakes. I will talk to you next time for the third part of The Cheerleaders. Until we sail again, this has been The Jolly Reader. Bon voyage. Hey, you made it to the outtakes. Let's do it. Testing. I always feel a ton of pressure to be funny during this part because I know it's going to go in outtakes and I have no idea what to say. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to say. This book's ridiculous, basically. So I'm going to check this test. Sorry. I'll try harder next time. Super side note, drinking coffee on my Jolly Reader mug, which you sometimes can see me post on social media. So every morning, my husband gets up for work and he puts a k-cup and a mug in our keurig and he like picks my mug for the day and days i have to work on jolly reader he always picks my jolly reader mug so i think it's like super cute enjoy this in the outtakes but i just had to say that so anyways monica's mom tells this is not a chapter break anyways diane wow and that like uh why can't i think I am Allie, and you are with me to my mom.